Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot. Welcome to Wonder Tour. Before we get started digging into Star Wars today, Derek, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Hey, yeah, Drew, thanks. Um, you know, my background's in digital transformation. And uh, so what that really means is that I love seeing a computer be used as a Swiss Army knife. Um, you know, just lots of different ways to use computers. And what I bring to Wonder Tour is the ability to bring deep empathy and emotional unpack so that lessons can be really understood uh, for each person to benefit. And uh, Drew, why don't you tell us about yourself there? Yeah, my name is Drew Perot, and I'm a leader in the space of people, strategy, and data. I have, from a young age, taken a really deep liking to data, automation, those type of things. But I obviously want to bring a human element to that because I think that people are at the center of innovation and transformation. And I'm on the Wonder Tour because I'm the type of person who will be up late at night connecting together the concepts and learnings from that day, trying to make a coherent model that's used to drive positive change in my life and hopefully also in the lives of others around me. We're here today to talk Star Wars. This is definitely one that Derek, you and I originally bonded over. It's just our mind love of Star Wars. So I've been looking forward to this episode um, since we started. It, we wanted to get ourselves a little bit off the ground before we started into a Star Wars episode here. So we had a little bit of structure to the Wonder Tour that we're going on together. But I am pumped up for this one today. So without further ado, I'm just going to jump into it because I want to spend the, the bulk of the time here talking narrative and, and leadership qualities. So today we're going to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, I think that for people who grew up in different um, in different eras, Obi-Wan means a little bit of a different thing to you all. So hopefully by focusing on a narrative arc throughout the Star Wars universe here being Obi-Wan, instead of, say, coming in and saying, oh, we're going to start on A New Hope or something like that, um, we can really dissect Obi-Wan, his motivations, um, his development, those he, those he influences, you know, what is his relationship with the Force, etc., and really take out those leadership learnings that we can get from him um, and, and, and from others in the Star Wars universe without having to keep ourselves boxed to one movie. So with that said, we are going to have a lot of spoilers for Star Wars here. I mean, just blanket, there's probably going to be spoilers for all of the Star Wars movies, uh, Clone Wars and Rebels TV show, Probably some of the video games and books as well. <laughs> I know that most people probably don't go that deep, but I definitely do. So I probably will you know, be drawing from my knowledge of all of those different things. And of course, relying on all kinds of basic Star Wars wiki type uh, facts that are out there. This one's for the fanboys. Yeah, this is definitely <laughs> for the fanboys. And if you're not a big fan yeah, of Star fangirls. Wars, <laughs> yeah, one of our buddies, one of our buddies had never even seen Star Wars until last year, two years ago. Um, until Jedi Order, the the PlayStation 4 and Xbox game came out, and that was it was so funny. That was his first experience with Star Wars, and he loved it. And yeah. I could not believe it because normally I don't even pitch Star Wars to people. Like my wife hasn't even barely seen Star Wars, and I'm just like, you know what? It's just disappointing to me when I try to pitch something like this, and people don't love it as much as I do. So I've just stopped. So I, I just love when people <laughs> come in and do love, actually end up loving it as much as you. 
You can already yeah. tell. We just spent the first five minutes here just talking about how much we love Star Wars. I mean, it's my favorite property of all time. I, I got to reciprocate, though. You know, if you reciprocate, you're in the club. And it's an easy club to get into. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we send a lot of gifts back and forth talking Star Wars. I mean, I've had so many late, late nights with friends trying to dissect this. I mean, I've, I don't know how many night, late nights I've had just talking about Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. it's crazy so this is a really cool outlet and i just can't wait to to see where the narrative takes us so without further ado i'm gonna go ahead and give us a flyover but again i'm not gonna do a flyover of one movie i'm gonna do a flyover of obi-wan i'm not gonna include books and stuff like that in this flyover because otherwise i would take absolutely forever and we debate about what books to talk about and not to talk about so obi-wan's story I think really starts in episode one, Phantom Menace. We He's there very early on. He is a Padawan to Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, he, Obi-Wan has this very consistent vibe to him. Um, he goes on this this journey. They're trying to uh, they're trying to investigate some weird thing, basically occurrence that's going on with uh, the Trade Federation, where they're kind of blocking blockading Naboo. Um, and they're trying to block trade and normally the galaxy's at peace. So this is kind of like the, the rumblings of something going on underneath of that. Um, they they don't know of any Sith Lords or anything like that. They're just like, this is where the journey starts, right? So they go, they go to Naboo, they, they have to rescue, um, Queen Amidala. Um, this story is really about Qui-Gon. So we'll kind of just say that Obi-Wan's along for the ride and he's learning from Qui-Gon, right? Obi-Wan has that that mentor-mentee relationship with Qui-Gon, which is just so awesome. Unfortunately, it's not fully developed in the movies. Um, you really have to go to the books and the TV shows to go deeper into that relationship. But um, so they go to, of course, they're they're taking off after they save um, Queen Amidala, and then they end up having to crash land, basically. Um, I can't even remember exactly why they crash land, but either way, um, <laughs> they end up crash landing on Tatooine, which is where Qui-Gon finds Anakin. And Qui-Gon is this, we have to talk about who Qui-Gon is. Qui-Gon is like this mystic type guy. He is really into following the spirit of the Force wherever it leads him. And even when that goes against what the Jedi Council and Yoda want to do. So Qui-Gon's constantly getting in trouble with them. He finds Anakin. Of course, his, his midi-chlorians were off the scale, as Weird Al Yankovic said. And... Um, <laughs> meaning that for those of you who don't remember what that means, meaning that he just has a really high count of, of, of what force users have, essentially. So he's also a little bit older and he's had some really hard life experiences. Um, regardless, he ends up getting uh, Anakin free. He sees this potential in him. Obi-Wan kind of like reenters the story here. He's kind of like a passerby, you know, passenger in the story most of the time. Comes back in. Um, they end up escaping. Uh, they end up escaping Tatooine, and then Obi Wan's real role uh, in this movie comes in when they end up fighting in the Sith Lord Darth Maul. Um, they fight him in this like weird little chamber thing. Darth Maul ends up killing Qui Gon Jinn at that point, and Obi Wan, the Padawan, becomes a Jedi Knight as he slices Darth Maul in half, and we see Darth Maul like fall down through the hole in the in the ship. I'm not sure exactly what that is. Um, Regardless, that kind of takes us into that. That's his first level of Obi-Wan's journey, right? Is he goes from Padawan to Jedi Knight. Next, we, we enter into Attack of the Clones. And what was Qui-Gon's dying wish for Obi-Wan? It was for him to train Anakin. So despite the fact that the Jedi Council and Yoda doesn't want him to, 
Obi-Wan, and even despite his differences with his master Qui-Gon, he still really wants to honor Qui-Gon and he wants to believe what Qui-Gon had to say um, because Qui-Gon did believe that that Anakin was the chosen one. Um, so he brings he ends up becoming a Jedi Knight. Anakin becomes his Padawan. We flash forward into Clone Wars where he's doing some really cool stuff. Obviously, he's like tracking down um, he's tracking down disturbances. I'm not going to go too deep into this just for the sake of time, but they end up um, they end up on Geonosis and on Geonosis, you know, they get captured. They're in this like weird uh, Coliseum type battle and they escape when all the clones come. Right. So I admit I didn't take us down this whole weird storyline. It is Attack of the Clones, probably the worst movie. So I'm not going to go deep into it. But again, Obi-Wan's like kind of. He goes to he goes uh, to to find out about these clones beforehand. He meets Django Fett and Boba Fett, and that's how they end up getting to Genosis and stuff. So again, we know that this happens. There's not a lot of development for Obi Wan that happens in this part. It's more just like exposition, very explicit exposition of story in in what is probably the worst Star Wars movie. Um, so then, <laughs> he's just like a, just, an investigator, right? I mean, he's just kind of running yeah. around investigating everybody. I mean, that's the way I think of it. He's like Columbo. He's like, uh, ma'am, uh, sir, are those your clones? Uh, you know, anyway, this is yeah. just an injection. Yeah, Lucas but, has this, this great idea for the Clone Wars that's kind of been talked about in, in the original trilogy and stuff. And so they really want to get to this. And then they use this whole freaking movie as a just like stepping stones. And they just keep it's literally just textbook bad writing. Right. Where they just keep going like, and where do we go next? And then much we CGI too. until we get to the point, which is like a really cool scene where you have all these Jedi and all these droids and all these clones that engage in this big battle on geonosis this starts the clone wars i'm not going to go too deep into the clone wars tv show other than to say that um during the clone wars obi-wan does become a jedi master and anakin becomes a jedi knight so they're no longer a master padawan relationship but uh anakin really follows him around and, and does continue to interact with him pretty heavily in that tv show and they continue to have these these relationship where they're learning from each other and he and obi-wan is providing advice to anakin and anakin's kind of like this angsty teen who's pushing back against it a lot of the time um even in his older years so then we get to episode three this is probably obi-wan's main story um here obi-wan in episode three is kind of tracking down General Grievous. Um, he There's like all this weird stuff that's starting to happen as we're nearing the end of the Clone Wars. Um, Grievous was, quote unquote, leading them at that point. Count Dooku's in hiding. Um, I, I love that I miss Count Dooku entirely in, in Attack of the Clones, but again, uh, now this people do love episode that three. That was more about Anakin than it was about, you know, about Obi-Wan, really, you know. Yeah, yeah, and episode three is where it really becomes like about those two together. Um, so we, we have some really harrowing scenes here, right? Where, um, Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship is kind of blown apart. Um, and they've, they've really been together since Anakin was, was saved from slavery on Tatooine. And you kind of have Obi-Wan going in his own role and tracking down. He's like riding this boga, this vehicle, this, this lizard called a boga. And he's trying to track down Grievous. And eventually Obi-Wan takes down Grievous, and then you have this moment where Anakin kills Dooku at the behest of Palpatine, and Obi-Wan doesn't really see it um, at that moment, but that's like the moment where the dark side takes hold in Anakin, and it's really strong. And so you have these, like, devil and angel on his shoulders of Obi-Wan of the light side of the Force and Palpatine of the dark side of the Force of Anakin, 
And you really see Obi-Wan in this light of just this strong persona who cares about, you know, the good in the universe and is willing to sacrifice for it. And so it all kind of culminates when Obi-Wan goes back to the Jedi Temple on Coruscant and he sees this carnage that's happened there. And then, of course, the really like sad scene when he goes and he watches the, the hollow of it and he sees that like it was Anakin who did it and he already knew it was. But now he has it confirmed. So he talks to Padme. Um, Padme doesn't give Anakin away at this point, but Obi-Wan eventually finds um, finds Anakin and he ends up tracking down Anakin and they get in this this final confrontation of this movie on Mustafar. And when they're on Mustafar, um, this is kind of the end of the the end of the Clone Wars. Um, Order 66 has been executed. All the Jedi, for the most part, are dead and the clones have become the Empire, basically, um, under Palpatine. So we have the famous battle here, lightsaber battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan that the series has, of course, been leading up to. It's awesome. It, it is really cool. There's some campy quotes in there, of course. I mean, it's over Anakin. I have the higher ground is probably the most famous quote of episode three. Really, really interesting there, right, though? Like, what does that actually mean, Derek? I mean, just talk to me about what that quote actually means. He's trying to, you know, I mean, he's trying to put a boundary up, right? Um, and I, it, it, you know, at that point, I mean, I think you could even talk a little bit about the mentorship there in, in the moment, you know. Um, but, yeah, he's trying to say, like, don't cross this line. And uh, if you do, like, there will be consequences for crossing that line. You really, you hope you never get there with a, with a mentee, <laughs> you know. Don't cross that line. Usually a mentee doesn't have the power to cross the line. Um, so I think that's interesting in that in that particular uh, moment there, you know, where he decided he was going to cross it and it really messed him up. Right. And then we see him just totally get just I mean, it destroyed him. That was the beginning. Isn't that is that 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 the fact that that line is not crossed ever by the Jedi and Obi-Wan is taking that moral line and saying, like, no, I have the higher ground, not just physically. But I have the higher ground. I'm taking the light side here. I'm 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 following the will of the force. What are you doing? And he's just reminding him. And at that point, Anakin either has to. And I think a lot of people face this. Everyone faces it during their life. You either have to face reality and realize that what you're doing is damaging or you have to come up with some moral justification to explain to yourself why you're going to continue to do it. And that's what Anakin decides to do. And that's exactly what the way of the Sith is. When Darth Bane kind of establishes this rule of two in the way of the Sith, it inevitably the, the student has to surpass the master by killing them, basically. And so the Sith are set up to be quite opposite to the Jedi in this universe. And that's going to be what we now follow into the original trilogy here. So the movie ends with Obi-Wan once again being just kind of the servant leader hero. And he he follows up with Padme and he gets Leia and Luke as, as kids. He tries to save Padme, but the medic droid isn't able to save Padme. And so she she passes away. Anakin's left to die, essentially chopped up with burns on Mustafar. But he ends up getting saved. And, you know, we see him becoming Darth Vader. Luke and Leia are, are taken and split up. Um, Obi-Wan obviously wants to make sure that they're taken care of and that Palpatine can't find them. So they he and Yoda... And Bail Organa go ahead and split them up. 
And that leads us into the original trilogy where Obi-Wan has, you know, I think that's our moment here, right? So we've been talking about our mentor this entire time. Obi-Wan's so cool because he he is mentored at the beginning by Qui-Gon. Unfortunately, not as developed in the movies as it is in the other media. But then he becomes the mentor to Anakin. And he, Obi-Wan is such a good mentor to look at when you're trying to figure out how do I be a good mentor? Because he fails a lot and he succeeds a lot as well. And you can see what does it take to mentor somebody who has greatness within them? Because, of course, as a mentor, you want to find somebody who has that twinkle and everybody is special. Um, but, you know, you want to find somebody who's who's found their path and is going down that path at a high speed. And, and you want to help them on that journey to be better than, you know, better than you could be. And Obi-Wan really does that. He really does want those that he trains to become better than him. He's, he's humble in that way. He doesn't have to be the best. All he wants to do is he wants to see the will of the force kind of unleashed. He just wants to see what happens when people actually surrender to the force. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's a, <clears throat> a little bit of, you know, I mean, I think where he, maybe he messed up at really is that his steadiness is what undid him with Anakin. Um, if he would have had uh, you know, a more of a dynamic style to approach Anakin's pressing on every front. I think that is where you've got, <clears throat> you've got to look at what is the profile of my mentee? Is my, does my mentee, is my man, mentee looking for steady or is my mentee looking for kind of more of an agile and multifaceted approach? Um, because they have a lot of interests or because they really have deep fear. I think in this case, Anakin had deep fear about, you know, his existence. Right. And then once he, uh, kind of had, uh, you know, this connection to Padme, um, he, you know, and he lost his connection to his mom. Right. Um, he kept losing people. Right. So his fear kept, you know, dragging him down ever more. And so then he, it led him to try a variety of approaches. And so he kind of headed towards more questionable approaches. If, if Obi-Wan, and this is just my opinion, but if Obi-Wan had been a little bit more uh, progressive in his own mind in some ways, right, stretching his values, not necessarily violating his values, but really stretching how far his values could, you know, fit the situation, I think, you know, there's a obviously this is, you know, this it was all meant to have some ending. However, you know, think theoretically for a second. Right. I think Obi-Wan could have, you know, if you think about a mentor in real life, you know, that's when. But you can't as a mentor, it's very difficult without pain to stop a, a prideful aggression. Right. Mm. If someone is in a prideful passion and aggression, I say let them wear themselves out. You know, there'll be moments where you may give them a really hard task. And if they don't quit that hard task, um, that's one way to get them to have the lesson, which is mostly nonverbal um, and mostly experiential, you know, and I, I think that's a that's a good point to to kind of bring up there. Yeah, that, I love that. Thank you. So what you're saying is that you see kind of when you have, and I'm not saying everybody's going to run into the situation where you have an Anakin and the, the fate of the world, you know, is kind of on this one person that you're mentoring, but in a way it is because it's, it's a human life that that's, you know, in your hands to help sculpt. And so with that, 
what you're saying is like there, there has to be pain, especially especially when you're mentoring people who don't have a lot of experience. They're going to be oftentimes fiery. And that fire is a double edged sword. Um, but like you said, the Obi-Wan often takes the hard handed approach of just kind of like laying the law down over and over again in front of Anakin. Um, while, of course, he does kind of give him a little bit of gray area to operate in with Padme and their relationship and that kind of stuff. While he he lets him know that he doesn't agree with it, he kind of lets, you know, because he cares about him, he does let him do it. Um, but, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have that give and take of wisdom, really, where they're kind of going back and forth. We see it a little bit in the Clone Wars. But again, mostly, you know, Obi-Wan kind of just takes the takes the hard line with the uh, Jedi Council of no, we want you, you know, think about when they want Anakin on the council, kind of the spy on Palpatine, right? He just always doesn't really have that good understanding of the relationships and kind of just keeps pushing, pushing, pushing. But we do see in his later years, as we go forward, how those those missteps and successes that he had impact him. And that's where we get to our moment, right? And our moment's in episode four, um, our new hope. And this is really one of the cool moments in in all of, you know, Star Wars or media or whatever you want to say. I love this moment. I remember as a kid um, um, thinking that the moment, the battle between Obi-Wan and Vader. And there isn't a whole lot before that in here that we can talk about, right? So Obi-Wan ends up um, via R2-D2 and C-3PO, Luke is drawn to Obi-Wan. Um, and or to Ben Kenobi. He's currently, you know, going by the code name Ben because he doesn't want to be found by the Empire. So he's he's been hanging out. He's been talking to Qui-Gon's force ghosts. <laughs> he's been in some way or shape or form clearly communicating with Yoda because he knows where Yoda's at. Um, and so he's operating kind of this like shadow Jedi order still with Yoda trying to keep things going. And now we're starting to as more and more come out of Disney star Wars universe, we're seeing more of what was actually happening and who was still alive because we didn't, you know, in episode three, you don't see everybody die. So you're like, are they still going? Um, but so he decides to train Luke and there's just not very much. There's not a training montage. Really. He's like training with the saber and the robot inside the, the millennium Falcon um, for a short period as they're, they're going on this mission with Han to, to save, Leia, then they get there, and the Death Stars, you know, the Death Stars blow up Alderaan, and at this point, they're going on this mission again. They have to save Leia, um, so they, they, at this point, you have this confrontation where, in order for them to escape with Leia, um, Obi-Wan has to go and perform this task, Luke has to go perform his tasks, and Obi-Wan is really, like, this is his moment with Luke. This is it. This is when he's going to leave a lasting impression. He didn't, you know, Luke's a, a Skywalker, so he has this this innate force ability, but this is his moment to make a mark on this mentee, and he's going to do it different than he did with Anakin. And, of course, it's, you know, multiplied the effect because it's Anakin's son. So we see in this really iconic scene in Star Wars um, where Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are now... Um, going to face off after Obi-Wan has performed his task with the shield generator or whatever. And <laughs> yeah, sorry, tractor beam. Yeah, tractor beam. you got me. Um, so it's just such a good scene. And it's, it's magnified when you know, when you see episode three, when you've seen episode three and you've seen the clone wars and stuff, it's so magnified because you can tell that like, there's a lot in their relationship there and it's all leading up to this one moment. And at this point, Vader is all dark side. Um, Anakin doesn't exist in there anymore. And so 
he's you know or at least you know there's just the tiniest little light of, yeah, of Anakin. yeah just the exactly right it's it's but of course obi-wan can see that and you have this this battle scene where they like kind of fight but like they're really only fighting because they're talking and it doesn't seem like they're actually trying to attack each other again obi-wan's on the defensive as is his style normally um and he's just kind of just toying with Anakin a little bit, very reminiscent of, of their earlier interactions, actually, which is funny because it was, you know, 30 years before <laughs> that it came out. But he has this great moment where he tells Anakin or he tells Darth Vader, you know, strike me down and I will become more powerful than you can imagine. And it's. It, it and Darth Vader doesn't get it right. He doesn't understand it because all he understands is power. All he understands is like physical brute and Obi-Wan through all of these experiences has figured out that that's not what power is at all. Right. And and he's actually learned what Qui-Gon was trying to teach him from the beginning, which is that true power is in surrender. It, you, it, to quote, you know, one of the great writers of all time, C.S. Lewis, right? You don't have anything that you can't give away. So if you're not willing to give it away, you don't actually have it. Um, in the first place. And so he, like Obi-Wan talk to me about this moment of surrender where he, he just, he sees Luke. Let's, we do have to talk a little bit about that cinematography for a second. Cause he sees Luke and he's like, okay, Luke's yeah. going to make it. And Luke sees me. And he's like, this is it. This is my moment. This is my shining achievement, but it's not about me. It's going to be about Luke. And so he turns the light back on him and he's like, this is about Luke and this is about Anakin. And so I'm willing to take the fall for these guys. Right. I mean, you know, he was smart enough to realize that, uh, I mean, that number one, like it, if he tried to survive the situation, even after doing the distraction so Luke could get away, it still wouldn't have had the power that he needed really ultimately in the end. And um, so, you know, he has Luke watching. And uh, I, I got to tell you, the, the thing that really did it for me was to empathize with Vader. So if I put myself and, and you you can remember this in at the end of episode, or the third movie, right, where the helmet goes on. OK, so think about what it would be like to look through that helmet and then look into Obi-Wan's eyes. Right. And strike him down. And in that moment, then Vader slash Anakin, right, would remember the reversal that had taken place in three and as he struck him down, he realized everything that he did that was wrong. And really, in my mind, this is the beginning of the transformation from Vader back to Anakin that we see take place in episode six. He becomes Anakin again for a brief moment, right? So I think that's the way transformation works because – and this is how Obi-Wan – became more powerful than he could ever imagine. He could not have imagined that he would he could unremember striking down Obi-Wan. And because he was unable to unremember that, to forget it, I think it, I think unremember is almost I think it's even more powerful than forget because forget's kind of like a eh, forget it. You don't forget things like that. And so Obi-Wan transformed himself into a trauma a healing cleansing trauma right that then you know permeated itself through vader and 
And how did he catalyze it? He catalyzed it through Luke. He knew that that relationship would catalyze the trauma and and make it a cleanser, essentially, and clean out the wound, right, um, to the point that he inspired uh, Vader into his own surrender and ultimate sacrifice. And that is a powerful shockwave, very powerful shockwave that I – uh, you know, I could just see, you know, exhumed from, you know, the six movies, you know, if you look at the entire arc, especially three, uh, three to six, he lets it simmer. There's a couple places in the whole chain of events where these things simmer and, you know, you have to be patient. Right. Um, and I think that's, is very powerful. Now if you think about that as a leader, Drew, um, can you give me some business context on that? where you have to be patient and let things simmer. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that's the difference between surrender and sacrifice, right? And and we've mentioned this in previous episodes, and sacrifice does, you know, there is a time for sacrifice, but surrender is really always <laughs> something that you want to be looking at is how do you surrender? Cuz a lot of times what the the way that surrender takes will not be sacrificing your own life, but it means that you're going to have to give something and it, that something is not a, you know, it's, it's, it's not like you're just throwing it and burning it in front of you. It, you're doing it for a reason. And so I think surrender, when you really care about people around you, whether it's, you know, people that you work with, people that work for you, um, people that, you know, re- you, you have all these relationships with your relatives and your friends, you know, people might be dealing with addiction, whatever they're going through, for you to actually surrender in that relationship sometimes means that you need to have that you need to be the cleansing cleansing trauma for those people and it means that you might be the bad guy that they might for the time being they might see you as the bad guy and so you have to look for the wisdom because obi-wan for a long time he was you know the wrong kind of cleansing trauma the the just slapping the rules on people's heads hitting them over the head with the rule book and that wasn't the kind of cleansing trauma but the kind of cleansing trauma that finally got through and that finally like carries this prophecy through of the chosen one to fulfillment it, it was riding on the back of obi-wan the entire time right because qui-gon didn't get to train anakin it was obi-wan who got to train anakin you know obi-wan also got to be the first one to train luke he has this really important role and he comes back as a force ghost and continues to contribute to luke's development and eventually we assumedly to anakin's you know coming back and choosing to to make the right decision in episode six so i think from a leadership perspective in business you have to figure out where those angles are right sometimes those angles are just not telling people what they want to hear it means having the hard feedback with your people not hard as in like putting them down but hard is in like, hey, this is how you can improve and, and seeking that out, figuring out how you're going to make that angle with them. Right. Sometimes it means that you need to give up the position to somebody else because it, it's going to be better for their development. And in the long run, trust that things will work out for you as well. Sometimes it means that you need to you need to put somebody who hasn't done something before and is kind of unwilling to do it to put themselves out there in a position right? You need to put them in that project leader position or something like that. And so you're saying you can surrender your power basically. Yeah, exactly. Power exactly. is one of the things you can surrender. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. You can definitely give up some of your power. And the other one is, uh, you know, let's say you're holding a per- particular position on an initiative, right? So someone has an initiative, uh, it could be innovative. Um, it could be a little risky, 
you may be anti-risk. This is just a random example, but you know, you may have to give up some ground and, uh, it's not often talked about, um, explicitly. Have you noticed that just like in business in general, I don't know that people explicitly, unless they're really comfortable with themselves and comfortable with what I would call the, let's say the dark feelings, right? So I'm, I'm a type four Enneagram, you know, I'm kind of in touch with those, like, you know, kind of more dreary kind of, you know, not so happy feelings sometimes. And, you know, you may have to talk about their, your rationale for why you think you're right. And then talk through the rationale for why they think they're right about a particular initiative. And then you ultimately may have to admit that what you've been pushing so hard for or playing defense on, you know, maybe something you need to give up and surrender on. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. It's really the examining of yourself and figuring out where do you need to surrender, right? (laughs) It's just so hard as human beings living in 2021 culture to do that because it runs counter to everything that you're being told, right? It seems like if you don't have it physically, if you don't, if you can't feel the power, if you don't have the money, if you don't have the title that, you know, that you're nothing. But running counter to that, we see the sages of history. And, you know, one of those, (laughs) one of those maybe is, is Obi-Wan or George Lucas, depending on how you want to look at it. But they're kind of just, they're, they're kind of pulsing for you to take to yourself, for all of us to take and internalize to ourselves this vision for flourishing that requires surrender, that requires collaborating and working together. And I think that we've we've definitely seen that happen. And we see that take form in our organizations. And we're all really, really honored when, when you see somebody do something like that. Um, where, where you do see them kind of die to themselves and, and maybe the idea that they've been pushing their way of solving the problem, their strategy, they end up like having that realization, you know, we've all had it where, where we have to take the back seat and we have to let somebody else drive this one. And it, it, that's probably what I think if you're an up and coming leader and, you know, you're in your first job leading a team um, or leading an organization of any kind, that's probably one of the first battles that that I came across. And, you know, it's not that I don't fight it anymore at all. I do. I still do. It's just I have that lesson in my repertoire now um, of being willing to give things up. And I think that one of the great stories that I've had of that was um, in my volunteer experience, right? So I still volunteer often, mostly uh, with homeless people. Um, and a couple of years ago, I started leading this this team on on Thursdays and we did some awesome work. They're still doing great work. I, I check in on them from time to time. But there was a time last year when, you know, I wasn't really ready for it in my heart. It didn't feel like to give that up. But there was another leader that needed to take over. Right. And, and it was her time to shine. And so I had to really struggle with that of. I think I just have to submit this. I think I just have to be willing to give this up and surrender myself right now. Um, what I know I love doing this and I really enjoy it and it brings a lot of fulfillment to me, but I think somebody else needs this more. And just seeing that relationship flourish has been awesome, right? My relationship with her got so much better um, as a result of that. The, the lady who took over after me, um, she does probably a better job than I could have ever done doing it. And so it's, 
you have to trust the process, right? That's one of the morals. As we get to the morals of this story is Obi-Wan trusted the process. He trusted, you know, I, I'm not saying that everybody has to trust the, you know, the prophecy of the chosen one and stuff like that. Um, but he trusted the process. And why did he trust that prophecy? Because he is not the type to trust the prophecy. And he deals with that in the books a lot where he doesn't want to believe that Anakin's the chosen one. Why? Because of Qui-Gon. Because Qui-Gon cared. And he saw how much Qui-Gon was willing to put forth. Qui-Gon, it's, it's kind of weird because Obi-Wan has this inferiority complex with Qui-Gon where he just feels like Qui-Gon, he, he says it multiple times, you know, why aren't you training Anakin? Because you could have done it. I can't do it. I don't relate to him the way that you can. You know, I don't have that. And he, he deals with that and he gets through it. And eventually he finds this mode that works, that meshes his personality as the, the rule follower and kind of like the one who wants to to see everything be equitable and stuff with this important narrative of salvation that's being told in this universe of the chosen one. And he figures out his role in it. And he's willing to realize that he's not the chosen one. He's not the key player. And what he needs to do is facilitate the development of others. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, yeah, and I, I, I liked your uh, your leadership example um from your life i think that's very powerful and um yeah so i think i mean if if i were to take away something from this today right is just to look um i really think it goes back to empathy again when you when you are i don't want to say it's kind of weird to say this but when you're plotting surrender when you're thinking about surrender um i think you've got to take the empathetic look across your contacts the people you work with and if you're going to give up a position uh whether it be a responsibility or a task right um or you know like something that you made and then somebody could improve you have got to look at it yes from they can improve it but also how does it uh change them right a leader looks uh and takes a serious look at the people under them into the side of them you know the peers when you're talking about because i mean i you know someone above you is not going to necessarily be like well i want to take your responsibility that's not that's not the way it works <laughs> it's just not right but to the side of you absolutely you want to play do si do with somebody to the side of you that can be very powerful as well so this isn't always somebody who reports to you necessarily but you can play interchangeably with roles uh someone to the side of you as well and i, I do want to make that you know thought available um and think about from their eyes and their viewpoint right and so literally play this game where you know you're living that role through their eyes just for a little bit you're seeing yourself and you're seeing yourself like and i think this is really powerful if you can think about this if you can do this in your mind you think about yourself clapping for them think about yourself cheering for that person right mm -hmm. Um, cause I think that's what Obi-Wan was doing as he was going down. He's like, you got this Luke, you know, he was really, uh, and he was doing that for Anakin too. He's like, look, I know they're still good in you, you know? Um, and that's what leaders do. They, when you're talking about believe, they believe in the people over the process for sure. And that's what caused Obi-Wan to outstrip the whole process in general is when he believed that the change in the people, right? That he would uh, perpetuate the right change in people that were around. 
you know, and the, and the process is just like, it just kind of implodes or, you know, it, it, it can't handle it. I mean, honestly, when you do the right thing, the process has to reorganize itself because it said, uh, I thought I was, you know, let's just personify ourselves as a process for a second. I thought that I had how it should go figured out, but <laughs> I agree right now in this moment, this was so good. I have to reorganize myself. Mm. And that's when things truly change, right? Mm. And the people that influence the process say, wow. And they're just shocked. And surrender is the one thing I can think of right off the top of my head that is just, it shocks people because you're giving up power, you're giving up position. These are supposed to be the things that we're supposed to deflect the world with. These are supposed to be the projections that we make the world believe that we're valuable, that we're, but we're strong, right? But true strength is actually showing that we can give those things up. And, you know, it's going to make us all better leaders. I mean, I'll be reflecting on this this week, you know, just having this conversation with you. I, I really appreciate, you know, your thoughts here on this and, um, but this is how we learn, which is how we learn lessons from the things that we absolutely love to watch and consume. You know, it's like, I, I'm not just consuming it. You're not just consuming it. I think that's, that's a misnomer in itself. These things, if you look just a little bit below the candy wrapper surface, right below the CGI and all that, there's some really good life and leadership lessons there. So I appreciate it, Drew. Nailed it. As always. Like that was about as good of a as good of a landing as we could have had for this plane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could go on for, yeah. for hours and hours talking about this stuff, but yeah, I think it's time to to land the plane for now and we'll come back around next time. There'll definitely be more Star Wars stories to talk about here, as well as plenty of other stories across media. Epic. Until next time. All right. See you next time. Yeah.